And we know that that takes one essential ingredient, and that is humility. Now, I have three points that we're going to talk about. And uh, we'll start in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1. You with me? Yeah. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad? In the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found safe favor in his sight, let him send me from the city of Judah, where my ancestors are buried, so that I can rebuild it. Then the king with the queen sitting behind him asked me, how long will your journey take, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates, so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple, and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on him, the king granted my request. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with him. When Sanballat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. So Nehemiah <clears throat> hears about the condition of Jerusalem, and he weeps and he tears his clothes, he prays to God, but then he comes into the king's presence and his face is downcast. And it's kind of honestly a testament to Nehemiah's character. The king has never seen him downcast, his face downcast before, right? It means all the other things that have gone, gone on in his life, he has never, he's been willing to kind of set those things aside and really have a heart, uh, you know, of really kind of professionalism and service in his, in his work that he was doing. This is, you know, he's a person of high character, right? He's able to set things aside and to really give and to serve in his role, even when things were kind of up and down and difficult in his life. Except when it comes to this, right? He, this place where his heart is really broken. And honestly, it's almost, it's maybe a kind of a deliberate uh, act that he does, a choice to actually let the king see this vulnerability, right? This place where his heart is broken. Even though that that's that's scary, right? He says it, he's, he's like afraid because he's in the king's presence. And if the king doesn't like how he's performing, the king can, you know, send him off to wherever it is, right? Uh, can have him executed, can send him into exile, can do anything he wants. But Nehemiah is putting himself out there because he's about to appeal for God's people, right? He's going to make this appeal. And um, and I love the way that he asked this, right? It says, that, you know, the king says, okay, well, what do you want? And Nehemiah prays, and it's like, okay, God help me. And then he makes a big ask. He says, okay, hey, instead of serving you here, can you allow me to go and rebuild the city that, you know, I'm not going to mention it, but fought against the previous empire, right, and tried to, like, you know, break away from them, and tried to actually conquer the areas around it, but don't worry about that, let me, you know, send me to rebuild this city hundreds of miles away, and oh, not only that, can you give me letters to ensure my safe passage, can you give me free timber, door timber, to actually do all this building, and here it is, you know, God's people are in exile, conquered by this pagan king, and it works, 
Right? God moves the king's heart and he says, yeah, okay. And not only that, he actually he says that he gives him all that he asked for, but then he also says, yeah, it takes some army officers and some cavalry and stuff like that. Like, you know, you're, you're going to need some soldiers too. Like, why don't you just take those as well? Like, what an incredible answer to this prayer that Nehemiah has prayed. And if we're going to embrace humility as this one essential ingredient for successful service, the first point that I would make is this, following Nehemiah's example. We have to ask for unexpected resources. Ask for unexpected resources. You know, if you want to go from some dream and, and some idea to actually a real plan and successfully serve in the kingdom, the first step is to, is to ask. God says, first, we need to ask him. Ask God for things. He says, I'm a, I'm a God who loves to give. Come and ask. Jesus says in Matthew 7, verse 7, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find Knock, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. We say, God, why do you want us to ask you? Why don't you just, why don't you just give it to us? Because that is a signal of humility. Right? The heart that is humble goes to God and asks. We don't just expect God to give it to us. We actually go to him. We show him that we need him. Not, we, obviously we need him, but we, that we know that we need him. We go to him and we ask. And, and you know, it, this, this seems so easy, and yet I find that in my life, it can be challenging to do. And that is because I think I get so focused on all the things that I can control that I forget there's a God who's so much bigger who can do way more than the things that I can do. I get so, you know, my thinking is so inside the box, right? It's defined by the limitations and, and the disappointments of the world. It's defined by the hard realities. It's by the hard, you know, defined by all the, the difficult things that you have to get used to in life. Nothing is perfect. Life is hard. And, you know, sure, there's truth in that, but that's not the mindset that Jesus had, is it? Right? When you see Jesus, the way that he thinks about possibility, Potential in the world. There is limitless possibility in the God who Jesus serves. Jesus lived in a world where a mustard seed becomes a mighty tree, where the paralytics are miraculously healed, where a kernel of wheat dies on the ground and then produces countless seeds. God is the God of shepherd boys who defeat giant warriors. He's the God of widows who are miraculously fed through famines, of barren women having children, of dry bones coming to life. That is the God we serve. He's not a God that's defined by all the things that he can't do. It's the things that he can do in spite of the circumstances. Amen. This is the God to whom we need to ask. He says, come and ask. I will figure it out. I can give you even more than you can imagine. Jesus says, and when facing a difficult situation, he says, with, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Amen. We show that we believe that. We show that we have the humility to believe that. When we go to God and ask. So if we want to see God use us for something, to, to, to serve successfully to Him in the lives of those around us in our community, the first step is to ask. Ask for unexpected resources. Let's continue. Verse 11. Nehemiah says, I went to Jerusalem 
And after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate or the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on for the fountain gate and the king's pool. There was not enough room for my mount to get through, so I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. We'll stop there. So Nehemiah has the, the resources ready here, but then he travels to Jerusalem, and it says that he stays there, stays there for three days. We'll talk about that in a second. He doesn't tell any of the Jewish people what he'd come to do. But then he takes a group of people with him by night, interestingly. It's up in the middle of the night. He takes this group of people and he goes out and he inspects the walls of Jerusalem. And here's the, the second lesson that I have for us as we really embrace humility as this one essential ingredient for successful service. And that is that we need to make an unbiased inspection. An unbiased inspection. You know, what I see here is Nehemiah trying to avoid making incorrect assumptions about the project on which he is about to embark. He's doing everything he can to try to actually see the situation clearly before he goes in and trying, trying to make a change, trying to, you know, influence things or, or tell people what to do. He says, no, no, no. I want to actually go and see it for myself and actually see the situation clearly. There's humility that goes and, and doesn't assume that he knows the answers, but goes and sees for himself. He arrives in Jerusalem, and I think it's significant. It says that he spends three days settling in, probably getting to know the leaders, understanding how life has been there. Perhaps he's trying to understand not just the condition of the walls, but the condition of the people who are going to be doing the work. Nehemiah is trying to do his homework to understand the situation. And then he takes a group of people and he goes by night and he walks around, he sizes this up, gets an estimate of the scope of the work. And I think for us also, if you know if we're trying to serve successfully in the kingdom, we need to be careful to avoid incorrect assumptions about the situation we're looking to help. You know, it's great that we have a vision for the way that things can be or, or the way that we want to be used. But we first need to get an unbiased inspection of what is actually going on before we start making any changes. You know, there's a, a principle, this is maybe a little technical, but you know, we can talk about this. There's a principle called Chesterton's Fence that maybe you've heard of. This is a, something that I really love. G.K. Chesterton was an English philosopher and a Christian apologist from the early 1900s. And uh, he's writing about people who are interested in making reforms. And uh, here's, here's one thing that he says. He says to assume, he says, let's say for the sake of simplicity, there's a fence or a gate erected across a road. The more modern type of reformer goes up gaily to it and says, I don't see the use of this. Let us clear it away. To which the more intelligent type of will do well to answer, if you, do, if you don't see the use of it, I certainly won't let you clear it away. Go away and think. Then when you can come back and tell, you, tell me that you do see the use of it, I may allow you to destroy it. 
He says offenses are offenses are always erected for some purpose. So if we can't possibly understand the purpose of this one, then we're likely overlooking some whole aspect of the issue. Similarly, no one has any business changing something when they don't understand how it came to be the way that it is. Chesterton says, he says, if someone simply stares at the thing as a senseless monstrosity that has somehow sprung up in his path, it is he and not the traditionalist who is suffering from an illusion. Now, what this means is that when we come with our dream to help, you know, we come into some situation, we see some issue, some obstacle, and we come with our dream to help. First, we need to approach with the spirit of humility. Help me to understand why things are the way they are. Ask questions. Help me to, you know, and honestly, just come and serve for a while. Right? You come into a situation, sometimes we, we come in and we want to make changes and we have some vision, but often it helps to just, just show up and serve. Show up and just be a part of it. And then God will, God will show you the way. Right? God will give you the path forward. But if we come in and just, and just trying to make all these changes and we don't even actually understand the issues, and we're setting ourselves and those around us up for disappointment. It means that our first instinct must simply be to serve. In whatever way needs to be served, however unglamorous that may be. You know, Audrey, my second daughter, asked me the other day how I got comfortable with people listening to me sing. So Audrey likes to sing, but she feels a little embarrassed and people hear her sing, like most of us do, right? I mean, that's the way that I felt also until, I mean, honestly, about 10 years ago when we moved into this ministry, and I had helped with some singing a little bit, you know, in various places, because when you're in campus, you kind of have to, if you're leading in campus, you have to be able to sing song because sometimes you're the only one there who, you know, is there. <laughs> so you have to be able to sing a song or two. Um, but that was basically the extent of my serving in the, in the worship ministry. And so, but we moved up here, and, and many of you guys know this, but, you know, we, we showed up, and we, Lauren and I were just like, look, you know, we're, Lauren was pregnant at the time, but we were, you know, we didn't have any of being with children. And so they're like, look, you know, we're here. How can we help? Right? What do you need? And she was like, oh, we'd love to have you sing. <laughs> I was like, bro, how about anything else? <laughs> this is embarrassing. And honestly, you guys, many of you were here. You remember those first five or seven, or I mean, this is something we're still working on, number of years where there were so many songs that you're like, oh, no, no, stop the song. We got to start somewhere. <laughs> You know, it's, it's bad enough listening to a song that just isn't working. It's horrible leading a song that isn't working. <laughs> it is so dumb and no. It is so, it's like, oh, no, we're in the wrong key. Oh, no, we started in the wrong place. No, that was supposed to be the chorus, and now we're doing the verse. I mean, you guys, I subjected you to it for many years. And we've, we've gotten better. And, I mean, it's been awesome having Kevin here and, you know, Maddie stepped up with Kelvin. It's, it's this... It's, it's been, I think, it's been great having so But I would say that for me, and, and I would say I overcame that fear of having people hear me say it's still not great, but it's like, hey, I'll do what I can, you know? And if you're judging me for it, like, I'll have you come up here and do it better. <laughs> Gladly, I would love you to come up here. But it just started with this desire, look, just, can we serve? Can we serve? And so you talked about this last week, but the, the heart is really essential, right? Showing up and not trying to, 
having this conception about, oh, I'm going to do this, and this is going to be how it's going to change, and all these things. Just showing up for the heart to serve. That's human. It, it, it comes from just really a desire to make an unbiased inspection of what's going on. Hey, I'm just going to show up. I'm going to figure out, I'm going to be a part of things. I'm going to figure things out. And then only then we can move forward as a ministry. Let's look at uh, verse 17. We'll finish up. It says, Then I said to them, talk about this is the Jewish leaders. He's just made his inspection. He says, You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of, of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, Let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. We'll stop there. So after making his inspection, Nehemiah gathers the Jewish leaders together, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and he says he gives them the situation, but then he also gives them this vision for the way that he believes that God can use them, right? The work that God is calling them to do. And also, you know, here's, here's the condition of the city. Here's also the resources that God has provided amazingly through this pagan king. And he says, okay, let's get to work. And, you know, I, I think about this because Nehemiah could have just, he could have just sent the soul, like he'd been sent some soldiers with him, right? He could have just sent the soldiers out there to, do, to start working, right, to do things. He could have, you know, used some other method to try to, like, well, you know, he and his guys would just start, you know, plugging away at it and maybe the people will figure it out eventually. But he actually deliberately chooses to work through the people with the community to see what God will do. I think if we want to embrace humility as an essential ingredient to successful service, we need to commit to unwavering partnerships. Unwavering partnerships in the church. God's plan is that the church grows through the selfless service of all of us together. All of us together, not as individuals, together as a body. Ephesians 4 16, he says, From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. The challenge is that working with people is often much harder than doing it ourselves. It's so much harder to work with other people than to just get up there and do it yourself. And yet, when we do work together, there are incredible things that God can accomplish through us. But the only way that we can actually successfully work as a community is by bearing the blame with one another through the difficult things that come up. In Colossians 3, this is the verse you guys know, Colossians 3, verse 12, Paul writes, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. You know, the command to embrace each of these traits implies that there is difficulty and conflict in the church. Right? The reason you need to choose compassion is because someone is being difficult. The reason you need to choose kindness is because you don't feel like being kind to them. The reason that you need to choose gentleness is because you're tempted to be harsh. The reason you need to choose patience is because it's harder and worse and more difficult than you first thought. And yet we have to choose these things. That's the call. Working with people is hard. Because working with any of us is hard. 
Right? We all have our issues. But humility recognizes them. Right? Humility approaches a, a group that has problems and says, yes, I have problems too, but let's love each other, forgive each other, bear with each other, and do our best together. So that means, yes, we're going to resolve issues as they come up. We're going to, and they will come up. We'll sin against each other and have conflict and fall short and just be boneheaded and do all kinds of dumb things. We work on it. Forgive each other. We commit to unwavering partnerships in our service to God. So, we're talking about successful service in the kingdom. Really embracing humility to make our service successful. It's moving from a call and a desire to serve into actually making it happen in the world. And I appreciate, you know, this example of, of Nehemiah, right? This is who we're looking at today, really showing us what humble service looks like in humility, asking God, and then boldly asking the king for the unexpected ways that he might be serving, right? unexpected resources that he might provide. It means avoiding assumptions about how things were, but then in humility, Nehemiah makes this unbiased inspection before offering his ideas. And he commits to unwavering partnerships. He invests not just in the project, but in the relationships with the people. So the challenge today is to imitate this example, to live in this world of limitless possibilities, and then ask God to pour out his resources to be able to be used for his glory. To avoid the assumptions about how things are. Come to come show up with, with a heart really to serve, and not just with an idea about how things should change. And then to be patient and bear with one another as we serve together. If we can embrace these things, I think we really will see God do incredible things in our ministry to bring up a, a spirit of connectedness and usefulness and really help in the long term that each of us would feel connected and, and really inspired to grow from year to year to year. And as we do that, that God will use our group to love and to serve the world.